Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. It has been a while since I've released a new episode. I think I have mentioned that I've been really, really busy, but I've been wanting to find some time to record, so I'm happy that I finally can. Um, Quick shout out. Thank you to everyone who is subscribed to my Patreon and supporting my work. I do post uh, bonus episodes on there occasionally, but I'm not able to be as consistent with it because of my work schedule. So I just really, really appreciate the people that are subscribed on there and supporting me. You know, it it really helps make it possible for me to do this work and make this podcast. So thank you guys. Um, Yeah, so today I wanted to do an episode about coping tools and just talk about different kinds of coping tools. Because I feel like this is one of the things that, you know, you obviously hear a lot about coping tools. And if you've done therapies like DBT or, I mean, most therapists will kind of have um, their signature coping tools that they uh, can help provide for people, you know, and there's kind of different schools of coping tools. And so because there are so many different options, I feel like sometimes it can almost be overwhelming to figure out, like, what are my coping tools? What are the things that work for me? Um... And how do I know, like, which one to use at different moments, uh, right? So I figured it would be helpful for me to just kind of talk through some of that um, and maybe talk about some of the questions that you can ask yourself to assess, you know, where you're at, what you're feeling, and what kind of strategies would be helpful for you. Um, And so I'm a visual person. I made a graph of this recently that I posted on Instagram if you want to check it out. Um, And I'm kind of going to be going further into that. So I picture it as there being like these different schools of coping tools. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of individual diversity with this. Just what works for you, you know, different things for different people. So one ingredient I think is exploration. Like you kind of have to play around and, and try different things to find what works for you sometimes it's like trial and error to get to know yourself in this way so I guess first I'll talk about you know what coping tools can be because they're not always for the same purpose Um, so some coping tools are very much for in the moment emotional regulation purposes right nervous system regulation like when someone is having a panic attack feeling really anxious feeling a lot of distress having intrusive thoughts Um, feeling depressed, like, you know, coping skills can be used in the moment to kind of help emotionally regulate. Um, And even with the examples I just gave, that's so many different kinds of things, right? So there's going to be so many different kinds of interventions for, for that. So, you know, one of the best things that you can do if you're able, of course, is find a therapist that you feel comfortable with and who can really work with you on an individual level to help you figure out, um, what, you know, your specific tools are. And I have talked before about how, you know, sometimes I get frustrated with feeling like some therapists or some schools of therapy get a little bit rigid with what kinds of coping tools they recommend. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have said that I, you know, had a therapist who would tell me to meditate or tell me to do, you know, these specific kinds of interventions. And then, when they didn't work for me, I wasn't really offered a lot of other options. I, I kind of felt like I just had to figure out how to make those ones work for me. And so that can make the process frustrating and even lead to like, you know, feelings of hopelessness or discouragement about the therapeutic process and capacity to heal. So yeah, I think it's important to understand that um, coping tools can 
be used in a lot of different situations and also, you know, should and are always going to look different for different people. And that's completely okay. So find what works for you. So uh, I think I got a little sidetracked there. But, you know, there's these coping tools that you use for the moment um, for emotional stabilization. And then there's coping tools that are more what I would consider like maintenance, right? So they're not what you pull out for the crisis moments when you're really upset and need something fast to kind of help bring you back down. Um, these are things that you kind of implement as like routines and self-care and um, mental health practices that, you know, support your overall well-being. So this is things like, you know, having a journaling routine that you do at night or having like a sleep and exercise routine that is positive for your mental health. Or, you know, having other little, like, self-care rituals that you do that help um, sustain your uh, regulation throughout the day, that sort of thing. So there's there's different categories. Um, but, you know, when you're thinking about, I guess, this first category of, like, what to do when you're feeling emotionally distressed. Like, what to do when you're feeling triggered, when you're having a flashback, when you're feeling overwhelmed with emotion. I'm going to start with talking about that one and kind of talking about different uh different angles to approach that from so one of the first things to do and kind of the first categories of coping skills but I think this one is often a really important early step for CPTSD is working on self-compassion practices Um, I have talked before about how one of the common traits associated with CPTSD is a lot of shame and self-criticism and specifically a tendency to self-criticize and self-shame when you are emotionally distressed. So actually the feeling of being emotionally dysregulated can be compounded by shame and all of these associated bad feelings um, and negative core beliefs about the self. Because, you know, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family home, uh, it would be very likely that your feelings were not validated or that you even had people that got upset with you when you were upset, that you learned how to hide your feelings or that emotions were associated with explosions or, you know, based on all of these different situations, we can just have a really negative association with our own pain. Um, And this is especially true for, I think, children that experienced neglect and never had an adult that was soothing them and, you know, teaching them how to sit with big feelings or that it's okay to have big feelings. Um, Or a family where it was modeled that feelings were kind of like a hush-hush, no one talks about it, keep it behind closed doors. All of these things can contribute to feelings of shame. So anyways, you know, one of the first things that can kind of diffuse an emotional flashback or a really dysregulated state is just uh, self-compassion practices. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense for me because a lot of times when I think about how to work with yourself when you're really upset and really distressed, I think about working with kids um, because especially if you're having an emotional flashback, you might even be in a childish state, right? You can be feeling really young and really vulnerable in those moments when you're having a trauma-related um, you know, emotional overwhelm experience. And so, uh, you know, there's these kind of like young, vulnerable, scared, big feelings and parts that are coming out. And when you work with kids and, you know, for me, I have experience, um, especially working with like babies and toddlers and like the zero to five crowd of kids, you know, I, 
I have learned through experience that one of the best ways to, you know, help a child calm down when they're feeling really upset is just to really empathize and be compassionate, you know. Um, Kids often respond really well to just those supportive statements that let them know um, that it's okay and it's safe to feel what they're feeling, you know, that you're kind of there with them in it, that you're not going to leave them or judge them, and that you're there to kind of help them express what they need to and process it and calm down. And so I encourage people to almost take that same approach with themselves when they're upset. And this can also fit into kind of the reparenting idea, right? Like you're showing up for yourself the way that you would show up for a kid that is just feeling really, really scared and sad and upset and angry. Um, And sometimes that can even look like setting healthy boundaries for yourself when you're in that state too. Because with reparenting, you know, and being self-compassionate, it doesn't mean that you just wallow. Sometimes that's a fear people express. Like, if I'm compassionate with myself, I'm just going to, like, wallow and feel bad for myself forever. And so, you know, there's really a difference between healthy self-compassion and just wallowing. Um, Healthy self-compassion is meeting yourself where you are at, right? Like, allowing yourself to have the feelings that you're having and reminding yourself that it's safe and it's okay to feel those things. Um, in order to allow the feelings to be processed and to be released. Um, A lot of times when people get stuck in an emotional state, it's because they're actually not allowing themselves to process it and express it. So, you know, those self-compassion practices can look a lot of different ways. Some people like to speak out loud to themselves, literally, you know, saying reassuring and kind and affirming things. Some people um, will just kind of internally remind themselves that, you know, it's okay to feel and that, uh, you know, kind of giving permission to resist any of those thoughts of shame and criticism that pop up. So if you're having thoughts pop up around, you know, uh, I'm being a crybaby, I shouldn't be reacting like this, I'm too sensitive, I'm, you know, I'm being dramatic, like whatever those kind of negative judging perspectives are, that you're noticing them and starting to resist them and challenge them and be like, nope, that's okay, like, to to feel upset. That doesn't mean that I'm being dramatic. You know, I'm allowed to have big feelings. Whatever you, you need to kind of say to challenge those automatic thoughts. And then, you know, being kind to yourself, like, literally just taking care of yourself when you're in an emotionally fragile state. I find a lot of the times with kind of coping skills and self-regulation practices, there can almost be this tendency for an underlying effort to just kind of avoid or um, bypass the difficult feelings. Like we are using coping skills, but really it's another way of avoiding or shutting down from difficult feelings because the reality is that it's okay to feel bad sometimes and you are going to feel bad sometimes. And it's about how you can care for yourself and, you know, uh, ground yourself (laughs) while you are going through that emotional experience and while you are feeling painful and just uncomfortable feelings and part of trauma recovery is learning that uncomfortable does not mean unsafe like you can be having really uncomfortable feelings and work on reminding yourself that you're safe and so this is part of that right like it's safe to feel it's okay it's not something that we have to hide from or that we have to use coping skills to to bypass so what I mean by taking care of yourself is literally just showing up for yourself almost the way you would show up for a friend if they were sick or if you know maybe if your friend was going through a really hard emotional time like 
what do you need? Do you need food? Do you need a bath? Do you need a nap? Do you need some comfort? Um, do you need some time to just cry it out? Like trying to nurture yourself and um, I guess respect the time that you need to to feel whatever it is that you're feeling and um, being patient with yourself, not rushing and expecting yourself to be able to just get over it, you know, just get over it right away. Okay, I cried. I should be over it. Like, you know, give yourself some time. These these things tend to kind of come in waves and working on that self-patience uh, can be really helpful. So I think the self-compassion is kind of like the first line of defense, in my opinion, because it hopefully de-escalates any of that shame. Um, and the shame makes the emotions worse. Like it becomes the sandwich or spiral where you have whatever the first thing is that you were feeling really upset about. And then the second layer of like shame and self-judgment that makes everything compounded and more intense. So uh, interrupting any shame and focusing on self-compassion, I think is, is really vital for that reason. The uh, second, second group of coping strategies that I'm going to talk about is, you know, kind of the mindfulness and being present with your feelings uh, activities. And I think this also uh, connects with ways to express, right? So like to actually allow yourself to feel the feelings, which everyone is always talking about online. We like feel your feelings. And then I always see people saying like, okay, what does that mean? So I'm I'm gonna try my best to explain. Like what does it actually look like in practice to feel your feelings? Um, it can look like working on noticing how your body feels, you know, if you feel tightness or sickness or, um, pressure or weight or itchiness, like how is it feeling in your body? It's, uh, noticing what the feelings are bringing up for you and asking yourself questions with curiosity. So, um, you know, especially if you've been in therapy, you, you might kind of, find it more natural to to know how to ask yourself these questions but kind of you know asking yourself what's coming up for me right now what are the feelings that I'm having sometimes even as simple as just labeling the feelings because a lot of people struggle to identify emotions in adulthood who have CPTSD so you know labeling the feelings um noticing noticing it and it can also be a practice of self-acceptance, right? Like a lot of times, I know this sounds so simple, but a lot of times people will actually have a lot of resistance to labeling their feelings because they're stuck in their head or because they have learned that a certain emotion is bad. So they have a hard time just saying like, I'm feeling really angry or I'm feeling really uh, hurt or I'm feeling really jealous or I'm feeling really guilty. Like these different emotions that maybe feel uncomfortable to acknowledge and accept so that can be part of it. Um, and then finding ways to connect with and express the emotions. And I think creativity is often a big part of this for people. Um, I, I know a lot of people that use music to do this. So like making playlists of songs that help um, connect with the way that you're feeling, the things that you're processing, singing, you know, or if you like to make your own music, making your own music, writing. I think using poetry, using, um, you know, any sort of art or creative expression can be a really great way to be present with and express and connect with your emotional state. Um, and, you know, journaling does that for some people. 
but I think the the important thing is that you get practice getting out of the analytical mindset where you're kind of judging and trying to uh, intellectualize everything you're feeling and allowing yourself to be present with kind of the raw emotional experience and find ways to connect with that and express that. And, you know, sometimes that looks like also incorporating more somatic uh, practices, which is what I'm going to be talking about next. Like if you figure out that you're angry, maybe you need to scream. Maybe you need to um, do like really big movements with your body to release some energy. Maybe if you feel really sad and you realize that you feel really like alone, you're going to realize that the next step is to um, create a really like comforting, soothing environment for yourself. So, you know, when you identify how you're feeling, um, what it's bringing up for you, what that experience is like for you, and kind of uh, learn how to allow those feelings to be expressed in some way that works for you. I think that can kind of I'm not saying these have to happen in this sequence, but I think that can often naturally kind of lead to like the next phase of regulation. And I think that's kind of the thing about actually allowing ourselves to feel it before we try to move on, like not rushing ourselves, right? I think that those kind of practices, they kind of give you this opportunity to actually spend some time with the emotion, you know, getting to know it, getting to know yourself and releasing some stuff, like expressing some stuff. And then kind of uh, coming back into, okay, I feel ready now to ground myself and to calm down. Like one of the things that I think can lead to resistance with coping skills is when people feel rushed because they almost feel like, I don't know, like I've seen sometimes, you guys have probably seen this too, a video of a kid that's really upset and someone's trying to tell them to take deep breaths, like take deep breaths. And I just saw this the other day, the kid yells like, I don't want to take deep breaths. And I was like... I totally get that. And I see that, you know, with adults all the time too. Not that exact uh, phrasing, but this expression, this sentiment of like, I'm not ready to calm down yet. Like I actually, some part of me needs to feel upset a little bit longer. And that's healthy because a lot of emotions need to be connected with and felt as part of healing. You know, maybe you need to feel anger. (laughs) You need to feel sadness and you're not ready to uh physically calm down and get into like a grounded state yeah you're in a heightened state and in that heightened state you're really like expressing and contacting something that is that's deep and significant for you so for that reason i think having some expression it can kind of help guard you against the trap of just using coping skills to bypass your feelings like having that expressive modality okay That's self-compassion and self-expression and mindfulness and feeling your feelings. And the next uh, thing that I'm going to talk about is somatic techniques. So somatic techniques are super powerful. One of my favorite things to use um, with CPTSD treatment. And of course, I've talked more in depth in other episodes about the nervous system and how our brains and bodies get rewired from repeated traumas and that can get us locked into a fight or flight state and a state of hyper arousal 
um, or other dysregulated states like a free state where we feel really collapsed and immobilized and shut down. And so getting to know your nervous system is something that is really, really, really helpful for being able to use somatic techniques. Because remember earlier how I, I was talking about how like being able to identify where you're at helps you pick the right coping tool. So that applies doubly for your nervous system. So if you're in like a really heightened sympathetic state, that is maybe going to warrant a different response than if you're in a really shut down dissociative state. Um, And again, it is going to depend on the person, like what kind of tools work better. But I would definitely recommend listening to the episodes about polyvagal theory if you want to learn more about um, kind of the nervous system and, and that school of thought. But uh, in terms of just using the power of your body, I think one of the cool things is even if you don't really know a ton about the science of it, you can learn to tap into your own body and what is soothing to you and what is regulating to you. So one of the um, things that I would recommend is you can do an exercise where you think about each of your senses and what is regulating, like what is helpful for you. So for example... What are the smells that you like? What is the lighting that you like? What are the things that you like to look at? What are the sounds that you like? Do you like um, white noise? Do you like music? Do you like to have TV playing in the background? What about uh, touch? Do you like the feeling of pressure, like heavy weight, um, weighted blankets, being squeezed or compressed? Do you like uh, heat? You know, does hot water really soothe you? Baths and showers or maybe cold water. Maybe the feeling of jumping into cold water uh, is really good for you. And so, you know, by tuning into these different senses, you can kind of start to get to know what your senses crave and, and what can be soothing in moments of distress. Noticing little things like this is also um, something that I read about in Deb Dana's work on polyvagal theory, which is the idea of generating these safety anchors. So getting to know what helps contribute or what is associated with your safety state, your state of like relaxation and calm and connectedness. And when you start trying to notice those little moments, you might notice lots of random little things like, you know, the feeling of your feet in grass or the feeling of sunlight on your skin or when you're driving in the car and you're like singing really loudly by yourself. You know, there's these little moments that kind of bring you a little bit of connectedness to your safety state. So work on getting to know your body in this way. And then, you know, that can help you kind of generate some plans and some tools for what will help ground you and regulate you. Um, I am a big fan of kind of the using all five senses thing, uh, especially smell. Smells really powerful. So carrying around or having a little bottle of essential oils or like a strong smelled something that is invigorating and relaxing for you can help, especially in moments of like dissociation or panic attack that can kind of bring you back down a little bit. Um, I know a lot of people that have uh, had success with splashing their face with cold water or even dipping their face in like a bucket of ice water, which this is something that um, that helps with the nervous system regulation um, and helps engage your parasympathetic response, which helps you tolerate stress and de-stress. So the ice water thing can be helpful for people. And then with somatic experiencing, there's the idea of shaking and moving to release trauma. And I don't remember if I've talked about this before, but um, so Peter Levine, he wrote uh, Waking the Tiger, Healing Trauma, and has a lot of work on somatic experiencing and trauma. 
he talks about how, you know, in nature, animals have this natural response to trauma and stress, which is to physically shake um, to discharge the fight or flight energy so it doesn't get kind of stuck in their bodies. Um, so to discharge that stress energy. And you can see all these different videos of animals doing these like weird spastic dances um, when they're coming out of a free state or after facing a predator or something like that. So you can look it up on YouTube. You can see it on TikTok. Um, videos of people demonstrating how to shake trauma out of your body, how to dance, how to use like intuitive movement to physically release stress and tension and trauma in the body. So I'm a big fan of that. It feels really silly at first, but it really, I have seen it be so helpful. So I really, really recommend those kinds of practices for people. And then um, another group of coping skills that I'm going to talk about briefly is the idea of co-regulation and options for co-regulation when you're alone. So co-regulation is when you are soothed by someone else's nervous system. It's something that all mammals are conditioned for and wired for um, this soothing through connection. And so, you know, co-regulation can look like uh, hugging or cuddling or breathing together, syncing your breath with someone, eye contact, um, laughing together, crying together, really anything that soothes you through connection and comfort from someone else. So that is a great set of skills too. Um, and co-regulation is valuable and necessary. Babies need it and we need it for our entire lives. We never stop needing it. So if you have someone around that you feel safe with that can provide co-regulation, that is a great option. Um, if you are alone, there are kind of these ideas about other forms of uh, kind of co-regulation that are not with another person but can have a similar effect. So I'll talk about some of those real quick. If you feel like you need to connect with um, another living being or you need that kind of regulation from an outside source, you can uh, use an animal. If you have an animal that you feel connected with, if you have a dog or a cat or any kind of animal that you feel bonded with and that you can um, pet or sit with or cuddle with, that can be great. Or you can connect with uh, an author or a podcast or an audiobook. Like a lot of people need to hear someone's voice and maybe need to listen to someone talk that they, you know, feel comfortable with. Um, even, you know, Pete Walker says that even reading books by a therapist that you feel um, comfortable with and, and supported by can take the place of co-regulation when you're alone. And another thing <clears throat> that I've heard people talk about that I really like is the idea of co-regulating with nature. So um, if you like to be in water, a lot of people find being in natural bodies of water or even being near natural bodies of water really regulating, as well as being in trees, you know, just being in like natural environments. And so if you have nature around you and you find that regulating, that can be a great tool as well. And finally, I want to give a quick shout out to another group of coping tools, distraction. Um, people like to you know, kind of dismiss the validity of self-distraction. Um, self-distraction is not a coping tool that is great for long-term processing and releasing things, but sometimes that's not the goal. Sometimes the goal is just to survive. <laughs> like sometimes when you are having a hard enough time and you're triggered enough or you're distressed enough, trying to connect with your body or release the feelings or think about it or, or really go further into it at all, 
can be really overwhelming and it's not helpful if you're completely flooded um, and you might not have the energy or the resources or the time to do these different somatic practices or sit in a dark room and you know listen to music or whatever your tools are so I just want to validate for anyone that needs to hear this that if your best way of coping is to play games on your phone or watch Netflix or you know busy yourself with a project um, to just kind of get you through it that can be helpful it can be life-saving and I support self-distraction when necessary I think I would like to start posting more videos that are kind of guiding or um, showing people how to use some of these different somatic techniques and coping tools so I'm gonna try to be doing that on patreon I also am trying to uh, collaborate with people that use different somatic practices like different yoga and breathing and um, somatic experiencing practices and collab with them so they can kind of demonstrate what they do and how they do it for you guys um, so I'm going to be trying to get some of that hopefully out on Patreon soon thank you guys so much for listening I wanted to say really quick that uh, Spotify wrapped came out and there were multiple people that totally to my surprise was not expecting it tagged the podcast instagram and you know said that the podcast was you know their their top listen to channel or, or their most listened to podcast on spotify all year and i just it made me so happy <laughs> thank you guys so much i think it said there were 800 people that listened to this podcast more than any other um just something like that it totally blew me away i'm just i'm so grateful for the support even when i am only able to post kind of intermittently so I hope you guys found this episode helpful. I will try to get another one out soon. Um, thank you guys so much for your support. And if I don't post again until January, I hope you have a great rest of your year. <laughs> Bye.